Welcome to Oncofon. Happy New Year. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm the Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this on January 2nd, 2020. From my offices in Mountain Home, Tennessee, uh, we're going to kick off the first pod of 2020 uh, with a quick look back at the last drug approved of 2019, which is FAM, Trastuzumab, Deruxtecan NX. Uh, as a biologic, it has that uh, four-letter um, uh, uh, signifier at the very end, that NXKI. And then because we have trastuzumab, we have adotrastuzumab and tanzine uh, to prevent, uh, you know, look-alike satellite drugs with three drugs now approved that are trastuzumab. There's trastuzumab, trastuzumab and tanzine, which is officially called adotrastuzumab and tanzine. And then trastuzumab deruxtecan, which is officially called FAM. Trastuzumab deruxtecan, but we're going to forget the ADOs and the FAMs and just go with Trastuzumab uh, deruxtecan. Now, this was approved December 20th, uh, so almost two weeks ago, and it is an accelerated approval of Trastuzumab deruxtecan for HER2 amplified metastatic breast cancer patients with two or more prior lines of HER2 directed therapy. So essentially, this is third line uh, treatment of HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. By the way, the brand name is in HER2 which, uh, all right, clever. Now, the approval for this is based off the Destiny Breast 01 study, which was published uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine on December 11th of 2019. And it was a two-part study, the first part being the phase one dose-finding study, and then phase two uh, kind of testing uh, if there is any disease activity. So in the phase two part of the study, there were 184 patients at that phase two dose, and the uh, overall objective response rate was 60.9%. Uh, with 6% of patients having a complete response. Now, those numbers are slightly different based on what is actually reported in the package insert. I'm going with what was published in the New England Journal of Medicine here. Now, um, 100% of these patients had received prior trastuzumab. 100% had received prior uh, trastuzumab imtanzine, which I'm going to call TDM1. And only 66%, only two-thirds had received prior pertuzumab. Now, in the United States, the standard of care would be trastuzumab plus pertuzumab in the upfront setting for these folks, and then maybe trastuzumab and tanzine. So, so some of these folks did not get as much HER2-directed therapy as we would do in the United States. Additionally, in the protocol, in the study, 30% of patients uh, only received one line of HER2-directed therapy, that being trastuzumab and tanzine, and then received trastuzumab deruxtecan. So the methods used in the study are a little bit different than the approval. The approvals in the third-line setting, there were you know fewer than a third of patients in the study that received uh, this trastuzumab deruxtecan in the second-line setting. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, so again, overall response rate, 60%, 6% CR rate. Median timed response was 1.6 months, so people that responded responded very quickly by the time of the next imaging, uh, or the first imaging after starting treatment. There was evidence of benefit, and the median duration of response was over a year at 14.8 months. Um, so it appears to have good disease activity. Now, when you do the dangerous thing and you compare it to other studies or to other drugs in a similar setting, uh, you know, the 60% overall response rate numerically is higher than trastuzumab and tanzine, or TDM1, uh, which, you know, would be impressive because trastuzumab and tanzine was given in an earlier line of treatment. All these people had received TDM1 and therefore maybe have some HER2 resistance and still had response rate. In fact, the 60% response rate is numerically higher than trastuzumab plus chemo in the upfront setting, but that's from a study all the way back in 2001, the very first uh, New England Journal of Medicine publication of trastuzumab by Slayman and colleagues. So certainly robust disease activity, whether or not that correlates to an overall survival advantage, 
remains to be seen. And because this is an accelerated approval, that evidence uh, is necessary for this drug to maintain uh, its approval. So let's look now at the specifics of the drug, starting with the pharmacology. So trastuzumab, that's our old goodie, uh, our HER2 targeting monoclonal antibody that has, uh, I think it's a four peptide linker that attaches to a topoisomerase one inhibitor. That's the deruxtecan. So think irinotecan, deruxtecan, as far as uh, how this works. So trastuzumab deruxtecan binds to HER2 and then is internalized and then intracellular en enzymes, and these enzymes are actually more numerous inside tumor cells, the normal cells, uh, cleave off the deruxtecan, that topoisomerase one inhibitor, which then leads uh, to our cell death. So here's some you know, this is a, it's a transtuzumab targeting or a, a antibody drug conjugate. So uh, if you were to put this in a category, it might be in the same category as TDM1 or transtuzumab imtanzine, but there are some notable differences. One, it's got a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor payload, uh, whereas TDM1 has a microtubule inhibitor pay payload. We don't typically use uh, irinotecan uh, or topotecan. We don't use topoisomerase inhibitors very often to treat breast cancer. So it is a way to deliver a different cytotoxic medication to breast cancer cells that otherwise would never have received a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. We'll mention, of course, anthracyclines inhibit topoisomerase 2, and, and pretty much everyone receives with breast cancer does receive uh, anthracyclines. Second difference, there are about eight uh, deruxtecan uh, molecules per monoclonal antibody. Now, this is twice as much as the calicomycin derivative in trametuzumab and tansin, which has you know, generally three or four molecules per monoclonal antibody. Um, the deruxtecan has a much greater cell permeability than uh, the imtanzine or the calicomycin derivative in trastuzumab and transine. So what that means is not all of these breast cancer cells express HER2. It's going to be a percentage of cells. It's not 100% generally that express HER2 in your average HER2 amplified breast cancer tumor population. So trastuzumab deruxtecan should bind to those that are HER2 amplified. It's internalized. The deruxtecan gets released. But then after the cell dies, it can easily permeate into nearby cancer cells uh, that do not express HER2 and can kill them that way. So you can get maybe a little bit more of a, not an innocent bystander, but a, uh, a guilty bystander effect of this drug. Now, of course, we may have more of the drug uh, that enters systemic circulation because of that, and maybe there is some more systemic exposure and a greater risk of toxicity, which, of course, we'll talk about later. Uh, the dose is also higher. So if you think of the dose of TDM1, it's 3.6 mg per kg every three weeks. The dose of trastuzumab deruxtecan is higher. It's 5.4 mg per kg. So we're giving a higher dose as well. Uh, it, but the dosing is the same, and it's intravenous. It's every three weeks until disease progression or unacceptable toxicity. Just like with adotrastuzumab imtanzine, the first infusion is 90 minutes. 30 minutes thereafter, if there are no infusion reactions, there's no necessary pre-meds. I will point out that the drug has to be diluted with D5W, not normal saline. Very clear about that in the package insert. Um, I'm, oh, back up a second to the differences between TDM1. Now, there's a phase one study that was presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Conference um, of giving trastuzumab deruxtecan to women that are not HER2 amplified, and there was actually an overall response rate of you know, somewhere in the 40% range. So there, there is some disease activity, perhaps, it appears, in those who are HER2 unamplified with, with this drug, and that may have something to do with that, the increased permeability of cells and drextecan, and we're not, uh, and we're delivering more of these, this topoisomerase inhibitor to the breast tissue itself, um, uh, because there's HER2 in even 
HER2 that is not amplified. Those breast tumors that don't overexpress HER2, they have a normal expression of HER2 um, probably. So it remains to be seen if there will be benefit uh, in the HER2 unamplified population, but that is something that we should be looking for are those studies. Okay, on to warnings precautions. Uh, there's a box warning for interstitial lung disease and pneumonitis, and a history of interstitial lung disease was an exclusion criteria in uh, breast density 01. Uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine paper, they say this occurred in 13.6% of patients. The PI says 9%, but that includes some patients that were treated uh, basically a lower denominator uh, in that 9% because it includes patients from the phase one study that were treated with lower doses, so perhaps this is a dose-dependent effect or more likely at higher doses. Uh, neutropenia happened in uh, grade three neutropenia, so an ANC less than 1,000 occurred in 20%. Febrile neutropenia in 1.6%. Again, this would be the deruxtecan. So some of that systemic exposure is going to cause some bone marrow suppression. Uh, decreased in left ventricular ejection fraction happening in around 1%, consistent with kind of the, the, the HER2 targeting effect of trastuzumab. And then, of course, uh, embryo-fetal toxicity box warning for that as well. Uh, other adverse events, uh, nausea 79% with 7% that was being grade 3, vomiting 47%, so this would be considered a moderately emetogenic chemo, constipation 35%, diarrhea 29%, uh, so we don't see that high rate of diarrhea like you did with irinotecan, but again, this is a different topoisomerase 1 inhibitor in deruxtecan. Uh, stomatitis 14%, alopecia 46%, again, because it is a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor, we do get systemic exposure. It doesn't just stay in the HER2 amplified breast cancer cells, so we do see some myelin suppression, some stomatitis, some alopecia, um, uh, anemia 31%, uh, thrombocytopenia 20%, although only 3.4% grade 3 thrombocytopenia uh, or higher. So uh, very rarely did you see patients with uh, platelets get below 50 there are dose reductions uh, for a grade 1 interstitial lung disease. Anything a grade 2 or higher requires stopping the drug. Uh, ANC less than 1,000, you hold the drug. If it's less than 500, you hold the drug and then uh, restart at a lower dose level. You reduce the dose after episodes of febrile neutropenia and then for left ventricular ejection fraction, decline. Uh, you either hold or DC the drug uh, and they can consider restarting it like we are used to with trastuzumab and pertuzumab uh, after the LVEF recovers after appropriate therapy. And there's a, a table that has all the, uh, the reductions and percentages uh, that you should look for uh, if somebody uh, goes on to receive this drug. As far as the pertinent uh, ADME, um, you know, the deruxtecan is metabolized by CYP384, but there are pretty low concentrations of deruxtecan in the blood, despite the systemic toxicity that we see. So when itraconazole, a potent 384 inhibitor, was given with deruxtecan, it only increased the AUC by 18%, so not even a 25% increase in exposure. So there's not expected to be any, uh, uh, any impact clinically of any meaningful drug interactions with 384 inhibitors. The same goes for ritonavir which was an inhibitor of a transport mechanism. Deruxtecan has about a five-day half-life, so it does hang around in the body for a while. Um, there are no dose adjustments for renal dysfunction, although it's not known what happens when the drug is given to patients with severe renal dysfunction, that being a creatinine clearance less than 30. Same goes for uh, patients with hepatic dysfunction. It's not known what happens for patients with a bile above, uh, higher than three times the upper limb normal. If it's safe to give that drug to those patients, but it does appear to be safe for patients with a bile up to three times the upper limb normal. So this uh, FAM trastuzumab directocan NXKI, uh, FDA approved. Uh, I'm not sure when it will be uh, available, but certainly has some disease activity, and we will wait to see whether or not this has any um, change in, uh, you know, the actual natural history of, of disease for these patients. Again, there's 
kind of some of the notable things to think about with the approval study is that just under a third of patients uh, actually received this drug in a second line setting and uh, only two-thirds received the drug after basically after what its approval is which is in the third line setting that would you know at least in the United States include uh, treatment with trastuzumab and pertuzumab again only like 65 percent of patients had received prior pertuzumab so that's trastuzumab directs the can what a way what a drug to start uh, Oncofarm 2020. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeaton. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OncofarmPod. Uh, rate, review us in the iTunes store. Listen to us on uh, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.